dark side. Light this bitch up. up everybody my name is james d fiore and this is black ball in 2010 i did something kind of silly when i ran to become the mayor of toronto i was running against rob ford and george smitherman and joe pantaloni and rocco rossi and the crazy cat lady herself names that just popped out of my brain Sarah Thompson now when I did that I, I, I actually had a reason to do it that had nothing to do with me thinking I was going to win I just thought um, that I, I saw a stat that said that the last municipal election saw something like an 18% turnout uh, for uh, voters between the ages of 18 and 34 and I thought that that was just abysmal um, so I ran, and when I say ran, I'm using air quotes, uh, you know, by opening up my laptop in my kitchen and most days just like campaigning, air quotes again, uh, you know, in a pair of boxers. Now, the interesting thing about that is that I did happen to learn a lot about how the process works. I knew how much it cost. It was 200 bucks at the time. I don't know how much it is now um, to run for mayor, or maybe it was 180. And uh, I understood one of the coolest things about running from here, by the way, is that you can call the city hall clerk and basically get any stat that you want anytime it pops into your head. It's kind of amazing. So when I, de- I, I, I participated in one debate, it happened to be the biggest debate. I just happened to win an online poll. So I was like one of the candidates there. So it was me, Rob Ford, Rocco Rossi, Joe Pantaloni, and George Smithman. And I was terrified. Um, and I, I did okay. But the really interesting thing was, is that, all of these people that were on stage sounded similar with the exception of me and Rob Ford. <laughs> we didn't sound the same either, but the process itself, there were dozens and dozens of people that were running fringe candidates. Um, first of all, they're called fringe candidates. And so the media automatically sort of picks uh, their horses when the election starts. And when people start throwing their name in this election in June in Toronto, little bit different we had john tory resign after it was discovered that he had an extramarital affair and he thought it would be better to leave i disagreed what do i know um but this election is a little bit different there is no clear front runner there isn't even i don't think a stable of candidates that the media can put their claws into and be like these are the ones you got to focus on and not to say that they're french candidates because i don't think that that either however Tonight, we have uh, a person who used to be a Toronto councillor and a York councillor. Someone corrected me on that today. I said North York councillor. And I think he's got a viable shot of winning. Um, His name is Rob Davis. Rob, how are you, buddy? I'm really good. It's good to see you again. uh, Glad to be on your show. Thank you very much. Um, Here's the thing. So why the hell are you running from mayor of Toronto? It seems like a city that might be in a little bit of crisis. Um, there's a whole bunch of reasons why, but um, that sounded more like a, like a funny thing. What, what is the, the main reason that you're running? Because I know that it is a very stressful thing to run a mayoral campaign. 
Well, well, the city is in city crisis, is in and crisis, that's why, that's why uh, I'm running. I'm running. Um, I think, I think, I think, uh, I think uh, somebody, somebody once, once one, of my opponents, one of my opponents said that the city is broken, and, and I don't think the city is broken. I think the city is like uh, like an old house that needs repair. It has good bones, but it needs uh, some tender, loving care. And so I'm running because I want to make the city safer. I want to make it make it cleaner. I want to make the city kinder. Um, it, it seems to me that those sort of three things are inextricably tied to our well-being, tied to the future of the city, tied to our economic, social, and emotional prosperity. Um, the, uh, the violence that we see erupting on, on the transit system is, is nothing new, uh, but what we've seen is a, an escalation in the amount of random acts of violence on, on the subway. Uh, people have a sense that the city needs a good scrubbing them down, yeah, you know, like a, if my if my uh, cleaning lady showed up, she might uh, say that it, it needs uh, some uh, Brillo pad to to get things uh, shiny, spit, shiny, spit shiny again. And we need some kindness. Um, I was I was very disturbed to see the city vote to close uh, the warming station back in uh, January, February. And it, and it struck me that, 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 you know, where did they think homeless people were going to go if you shut down warming centers in the middle of a cold snap or in advance of a cold snap? They went to libraries. They went to subways. They went to places where they could stay warm. You know, they're, they're but they're in distress. And now we have this challenge. You might save $100,000 on a warming center, but we're losing millions of dollars in subway ridership and revenue from the subway and so safety on the subway is tied to the level of kindness that we exhibit to people who are in distress have mental health and addiction issues to me it seems so obvious but to city council um i think they didn't realize the unintended consequences of decisions like that and that's just an example of an unintended consequence uh behind me is a, a dundas street west sign and I have and to I have say, to say this, this, that, that, that spending, spending $21 million, million dollars or more to change, change the names of 60 Toronto, Toronto streets is an example of misguided, misguided priorities and wasteful spending, because I care more about the homeless person who lives on Dundas Street than I do about changing the name of Dundas Street. And I think council seems to swing hither and yon on these decisions, doesn't seem to be or didn't seem to be uh, 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 sort of a sort guiding, guiding principle. principle. Um, um, I, think I think they just they get swept up with, with the zeitgeist, zeitgeist of the moment, the moment. What's, popular what's popular at the moment. moment. And, and instead of realizing, realizing that, that it's great that you want to decolonize, decolonize Toronto, Toronto and, and you know, you know be, respectful be respectful of our, of our First Nations and BIPOC community, but I have to tell you, not one black child is going to graduate from university because they changed the name of Dundas Street. Not one more First Nations, First Nations child is going to graduate from university, university because they changed the name Dundas Street. And I'd rather put those dollars into helping people rather than to symbolic um, performative actions. That is a super good point. And it's, what is it, 20 million? $21 million. Uh, but, but Dundas Street alone is $6 million. So... I, I just I don't believe that one street is six million and the other fifty-nine streets it's only gonna cost fifteen million. Okay, but why? 
Like, here's what I don't understand. Are there are there municipal rules and regulations that I am not familiar with that says if you want to do something like change the name of Dundas Street, you have to hire the most expensive unionized people ever, and they can take uh, 80 hours per sign at six guys, one of them holding one of those slow and stop signs. Like, is that how it works? No. no so I think, the, I think I think the challenge, the challenge with, with Dundas Street, Street is that it's a long and winding road, if I can quote the Beatles. And then along the way, there are also city assets that would have to have their names changed, like Young Dundas Square. So when you start looking at the cost of rebranding Young Dundas Square, the search for a replacement name and the consultants would be used in that search. And then there are all the stakeholders. We call them stakeholders in politics, but they're actually the residents affected. Uh, so uh, you so have to engage the business community, the people who live in houses and condos and rental apartment buildings and uh, people who have the name Dundas in the name of their business have to be consulted. Um, and so there's a tremendous cost to doing that. And, and in my fair estimation, um, when the city of Toronto has a billion dollar hole uh, that, that has has, has been filled by reserve, reserve uh, spending, spending, spending of their reserves. reserves. That's a that's more a pressing, pressing issue. issue. Um, um, yeah. Having, having to, to sort of defer, defer or delay capital, capital projects, projects because, because you've raided the reserves in order to fund your operating costs. That's that's the most pressing need because the city has to still function. We still have to run trains and we have to fill potholes and pave roads and run. Rob, time out. I have to give my son a hug here. I have to give my son a hug and he's and he doesn't want to be on camera. So I'm going to put you first. Okay, give him a hug. You know what? If you give him a hug, just bring him in. You're off camera. You're off camera. Give me a hug. This is great. This is I love great. it. I love it. <laughs> Fatherly well, he, love. That's he spectacular. Didn't see he heard you. I love that. He heard you. <laughs> and you and you and you didn't embarrass him by hugging him on camera. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I didn't embarrass good. him by hugging him on camera. Um, no, it's uh, it's it, this was their first night uh, uh, staying here since uh, they had moved with their mom, and um, and I think the adjustment is just weird, especially when I have to podcast at this time. So um, so they're gonna go back back to moms now. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and that's, and that's cool. Um, okay. Uh, 21 million is obscene. I think that we could, I have a solution. I think that we can take, what are they called? Pa- not palindromes. The things that like you can scramble the letters and just make a different name. We can yeah, come up yeah. with like sad nud or something and we can just rearrange the letters. I bet you, if you asked a million Torontonians, who is the Dundas that Dundas street is named after? I think like less than 1% would even know who the person is. They, they, they would have, they no, have idea. no idea. Uh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, we got a few messages about reverb on the show. Yeah. It's your, I think it's your echo. Um, how bad is it? I don't know. Well, let's ask the audience. Do you have a, do you have a, a any other tabs open? Yeah. Oh yeah. How's that? How's that, How's that better? Is that better? I think so. Is that, it sounds better to me. If you close everything else except for this tab, then yep, usually I'm doing that now. Now, is that better? Better. I hear I a little echo, echo too, too, so I don't know. You know what? We might have to deal with the little echo, and that's fine. Okay. Um, 
this is really important to me, um, the whole thing about these signs, because I know it sounds almost ridiculous to even talk about this stuff, but like it is when you talk about closing a hundred thousand dollar warming center and you right, and, right. and you're and you're and people are like, Well, what what was the reason for that? I think they cited costs. They also were really symbolically doing it in January. Which I was just like Maybe it's something you want to do in the late spring. Right, right. <laughs> you know, if you're right, going to do something like that. It, 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 it was, it was cruel, cruel, quite, quite, quite honestly. honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And did it, did it come into effect immediately or were they going to wait till the following year? No, they, no, they, they, did, did, it, they did it immediately. immediately. And, uh, and, and again, again, I, I just want to say, I, 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 I think we have we to have really to look at these issues in their totality. We have to really think, what is the outcome? What are the unintended consequences? Um, With the subway, for instance, they're looking at, um, 10 years ago, they awarded a contract to a company to bring cell service. That company a lot of money. They promised them $25 million. They didn't deliver cell service because they're making money in a different manner. They're making money from um, the advertising that they get from the Wi-Fi, and they're not making money from the cell service. And so they basically outmaneuvered the Toronto Transit Commission, and we and only 25% or 24% of the tunnels have cellular service 10 years after the contract. So, yeah. so most people most don't know this, but, know this, but I was a witness, was a witness to, the to the very first, first shooting, shooting on, on um, a Toronto subway, subway in March 28th, 2008. It was 15, 15 years ago. Years ago. Wow. And, and guess what? what? I, was I was scared to death. death. I, was gonna, gonna, I wasn't going to swear it there. I was scared, you know, you know shitless. shitless. I won't say I that online. But I couldn't use my phone. And I had to run to the payphone to dial 911. And even then, they didn't know where I was, and I had to call back because the wait was so long. I'm sure there are a few expletives on the recording of the 911 call that my mother would make my mother blush. Well, I never thought of that, actually, as a good reason to have cell coverage down there. I kind of used to, when I lived in Toronto, looked at it, looked at the subway as oh i got a moment to unplug <laughs> you know right, but right. now but i understand for the emergency situation so listen i i don't want to sound like i'm a right winger and i certainly don't want to portray you like i mean a far right winger i, I don't want to portray you as some like right, crazy right. conservative or anything but 20 million dollars is a lot to to come off as sort of like that bad kind of woke like it, it is just yeah, yeah. very expensive i don't um it, it has, I am not up to speed, but did it already pass? So, so they, approved they approved Dundas. Dundas they haven't approved, they approved the others. others. Right. But there's and Dundas a is six million, there. you said? Yeah, six yeah, million from Dundas. Dundas. So, I mean, so. at 60 and, and, warming stations, in case you're doing the math at home, everybody. Right, right. Right, you know? right. But there's, not, there's, there's another thing, thing to tell you. Let me just get, I'm going to turn the volume down a wee bit. Okay. And that might that help might with help the, the echo. echo. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. I don't know how the audience okay, cool. feels, but well, I can we're hear already okay. balls deep, so, so we might as well keep going. Yeah. Here's the here's thing. The thing. Uh, they, they, it's, it's an element of wokeism, but it's not full wokeism, because George, uh, Sir George Young, 
traded slaves after slavery was abolished. The person who reported them was a guy named Dundas. This guy right here. Sir George Young lost everything because Dundas reported them to the king for trading in slaves after the abolition, number one. Number two, if we really wanted to decolonize Toronto and decolonize Toronto streets, how come nobody suggested changing King Street to Queen Street? Yeah. That's a great point. They're only the longest running welfare family, you know, genocide, colonialist monarchy ever, um, you know. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's a long history of challenges, challenges with, the, with the monarchy. That's for sure. <laughs> I, love, I love the diplomacy that just oozes out of a current candidate well, for municipal office. I, it, I, I, I I, given that, that uh, Her Majesty, Her Majesty recently passed, passed and uh, His Majesty will, will soon be uh, coronated. Uh, there'll be a coronation for His Majesty. I don't want to... I don't want to unsettle the monarchists in your audience. I don't think I, if it's my audience, they probably don't really have uh, very many monarchists. Um, I want to let's let's shift gears here for a second. I want to know um, if you think that I often look at politics as uh, sometimes that we are on sort of borrowed time. I, sorry, I've muted you because uh, yeah, yeah. when I talk, like, it, it's I don't want it to echo anything. So um, so uh, when 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 I look at politics like this. Uh, sometimes I think that we're on borrowed time. I'll give you an example. I, I think Al Gore probably legit won the 2000 election. And I think that the entire Bush administration was borrowed time. I think that Bernie Sanders was sort of cheated out of the, by the DNC, out of the uh, primary uh, with Hillary Clinton. And so I feel like um, the, the, the campaign in 2016 was sort of like borrowed time. I don't feel John Tory should have resigned. So I feel like whoever steps into this mayoral chair next is sort of going to be in that weird spot where it's it's it's, it's not borrowed time. Well, in my theory, it would be kind of borrowed time, but almost like this isn't really supposed to happen. Do you think John Tory should have resigned in the first place? And now that we are here, is it even um, uh, productive to even look back and wonder about that? So, so no, I mean, I, mean, I think there's I think some there's good there's lessons, lessons from, from what, what happened, happened to John, John Tory. And, and let, let me say, say you know, you know John Tory is an old acquaintance. I've known him for, oy, I'm going to age myself a good 40 years. Um, I, I think, I think he did the right thing. I think he did the honorable thing. And it's not because he had an extramarital affair. Um, and it's not that it's anybody's business, um, whether he and his wife are uh, in a good place in a good relationship. Uh, but the person with whom he's, you know, admitted to having an affair with was somebody who directly reported to him. And so, and so in many, many corporate, corporate um, environments, environments, that is verboten, that is a no-go, no that's something, something that you don't, that you don't do. do. And I think and I he think recognized, recognized um, if, you, if he if separated, separated out the personal, personal from the professional, professional that, that we could forgive him the personal, personal but, but at the end of the day, there'd be a problem with the professional. Um, uh, notwithstanding the fact that the young lady seems to have gone on to work, you know, as reported in the newspaper, for MLSC, which is a partially Rogers-owned entity, and he has obviously some some sway at Rogers. So, you know, I, I don't know the details. I can't comment on, on any of that. But all I can say is I think he did the right thing, um, notwithstanding the fact that he was a popular guy, right? A lot of people loved Rob Ford, regardless of his demons. And, um, 
that's what happens when we have an affinity to a, a particular candidate. Uh, we're often willing to forgive their their foibles, uh, forgive their human failings, right? And I think in this case, that's why a lot of people didn't want John Tory to resign. Okay. Um, just to, from here on in, I'm, I am going to mute you while I'm while I ask the question, just because I don't want. Uh, I guess there's still an echo, but whatever. Um, I yep, can't yep. hear it. So um, I just wanted to 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 talk to you a little bit about um, you have ties to the Progressive Conservative Party of Ontario. I spotting a black conservative is like spotting a unicorn. It, it's just kind of rare, and I'm wondering. Um, I know that municipal municipal politics likes to see itself as not um, partisan. Uh, you know, you get rid of the orange, red, and blue, and all that kind of stuff. But we all know that when when it comes to voting, often it can be polarized, and 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 there could be like one of two groups. You added the word "kind" in your in your sort of tagline there for your campaign, and I'm wondering if you're going to approach this in a way that finds a way and this is going to sound like a politician talking but that finds a way to bridge the gap between our polarized uh elected officials yeah i, I, I think, think so, so. I, I i look look I, i'm not a i'm a, a partisan when it comes to provincial and federal elections and when it comes to municipal politics i'm interested in finding common ground um without necessarily having to compromise my principles you know when i talk about dundas and I, and I say, say I, I care, care more about, about homeless, homeless people, people than I do changing the name. A lot of, a lot of you know, you know, progressives, people on the left, left agree with me. Yeah. A lot of people on the right agree with me. You know, I think there's a there's a basic decency um, and a basic humanity that runs deep through the veins of people who live in Canada, regardless of their uh, partisan uh, colors. And nobody, nobody has, a has a monopoly on compassion. compassion. Nobody. nobody. And so when so I when talk I'm about this issue, issue, even the folks on the right who may want to see get back their six million dollars, they say, if you're so going to take my money, money, at least use it for something, something that's good. good that I may not have as my number one priority, but I, I can, I can sleep well knowing that at the very least they're using it for something that's helping people. Um, and so I, I like think the way I think, you frame that too. I like, like, yeah, like yeah. you know, do you want to, do you want to spend, uh, you know, $6 million changing the signs on Dundas street, or do you want to create, you know, 60 <laughs> warming stations, warming, or centers, 10 right, warming right. stations in a food right, bank right. or a and, woman's and, shelter or something like that. Right. 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 And, and, and that's, that's important. important. So, so, so it's, it's about priorities, priorities. And, and, and to be and fair, fair, you know, and, or to be straightforward, the people I'm running against, or the people in the race, you know, they were counselors. They're, they are the makers. They are the creators of the challenges that we have now. So whether it's, you know, not to use their names, but, you know, Matt Lowe, Bai Lau, or uh, even Saunders, and, 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 and Olivia Chow to a lesser extent, because she's been gone for a few years. I mean, they are the authors of this tragedy uh, that's unfolding before us, this, these challenges that we're having. Um, and so, so, you know, I'm hopeful, but I just don't see the person who was the, the housing czar for the last 10 years, um, who wasn't able to solve the problem being the person who's the solution. Um, I just don't believe that the, the, the folks like Bradford and Matt Lowe were great guys, and I know them, um, who voted to defund the police are the folks who are going to make our streets safer. 
And I just don't believe that, you know, Mr. Saunders, who was the chief of police who had to leave, or not had to leave, he quit before fulfilling his contractual obligations and had challenges with policing our city and reducing crime is the solution to our problems. So I have this odd situation where I'm, uh, I have experience, I have experience but, I, but, but I'm not I'm responsible not for the most recent, recent failings of our city government. government. And I think I can, I can write the show. I'm wondering, and I'll get off this in a second, but, I, I, you know, I sh the, the idea of being a black conservative, I only hear, and the media only shows us, um, often very militant left-wing uh, black uh, people when, they, when they're talking on, on news programs. Yes. You yes. know, and, and that... It's interesting, I, you know, because I'm the kind of guy I like to listen to academics like um, even like Larry Elder. Sometimes he's interesting. To right, right. Um, uh, Coleman, uh, Coleman Hughes. He's a, he's an interesting guy to listen to as well. There, there are. But and, and also, if you do polls, this is true in the United States. So I don't know if this is true in Canada, but oftentimes we do marry each other. When the defunding the police thing was happening and Black Lives Matter was all over the place in like 2020. Right, right. The the temperature of that movement did not match the polling of black communities where Correct, in right. places like Chicago, for example, where, where the South side of Chicago is a very, very, um, you know, a, a violent place. It was like 78% of black residents were, were like, we don't want to defund the police. <laughs> Who are we going to call? And so what do you think is, is there, because I, I feel, um, frustrated when i see guys like yourself who i would consider to be sort of like a moderate conservative or something like that when but you guys are often dismissed out of hand because you're not sort of parroting that line of defund the police black lives matter you know the uh, everything is systemic racism and this and so and so forth is it hard being a, a black voice when you're not a progressive i think it's being a hard hard a hard being a black voice when you don't fit a trope so, so, you know, you know I, 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 I remember when Black Lives Matter hit Toronto and, the, and, the, and the, those young people were protesting in front of um, police headquarters. And I might not have agreed with everything that they were saying, but I believe in my heart that they had a right to be there and they had a right to protest. And, and so when people were slagging them and calling them thugs, I went to town, on, you know, online. I went to town on people. I said, don't, you know, it, it reminded me of that time Nixon called the, the, the hippies, hippies, you know, a bunch, bunch of bums. Of bums. And, and all of a sudden, his Republican conservative base, who were the who parents of those hippies, said, hey, hey my kid's not a bum. bum. Like, how, how dare, dare you? you? Yeah. you know, I, I, disagree I disagree with my, with own, my kid, own kid, but don't you dare call him a bum. I kind of felt like that guy, you know, when people were calling these young black people thugs and hoodlums. I felt like that Republican parent, you know, talking to Nixon. Right. Saying, I, 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 might I might disagree, disagree with, with my own, my own kid, kid. Uh, but he's not a bum or she's not a bum. And so I, so I think there's a, there's a, and I think people change and evolve over time and their beliefs and their understandings of, of, of things that will make the world a better place and make their lives better. And so, yes, it's difficult being a black conservative, um, but it's not the only thing that I am. Uh, I'm a conservative uh, first, or I'm a community leader first. And then I'm black, um, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a taxpayer, a resident, a small business owner first. 
um, and I just happen to be black. And so um, there is a there's a fine line that you have to walk. There's a tightrope that you sometimes have to walk. Some people call it code uh, 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 code switching. You know the way you act or talk. Uh, when you're in different communities, um, sort of a survival instinct. That would be like but, me going. That would be like me going to like Moss Park and being like, "Hello, homies, how are you?" Like, like trying that, to yeah, yeah, exactly. ingratiate myself. But but, yeah. but, 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 you know, people understand when it's authentic and when it's not. So, look, my my experience I'm in the financial services sector, uh, so I understand numbers. I, I can read a balance sheet. I can read a financial statement. Um, by the same token. Um, you know, I, I found in the Caravan of Children's Parade when it was on Eglinton Avenue West in Little Jamaica. Um, so I think if I if I can, I think what the city needs is somebody who's somebody who has a social conscience, uh, but knows but has a calculator and can look at costs. Um, when I think about you know you know twenty one million for street signs, thirty one million dollars for bike lanes uh, every year. That's a lot, a lot of money, of money. every year, um, and, and not and only is it a lot of money, money, but I think part, part of the part cause of our congestion, congestion are bike lights, lights. Um, in the wrong, the wrong place. place. Uh, I live I on live Royal York Road. Road. There's a There's bike lane uh, out behind me. It functions beautifully. Uh, doesn't doesn't reduce the uh, road uh, capacity for vehicles. Uh, it's a nice wide bike lane. Cyclists can traverse it safely, um, and it, 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 it was the cost of paint. It's not unsightly. Uh, it doesn't impact negatively impact local businesses. Um, and it's a great recreational and, and um, uh, touring site for people to, to get to work, right? People can commute along this road and connect with the Goodman Trail and be downtown um, in a half an hour. Um, I, I, think, I think extending the bike lanes to, to Bloor Street uh, Young, Young Street, Street Eglinton Avenue. Avenue. I think, I think th these are things that we have to revisit. revisit. Not because we don't want cyclists to be safe, but because I think the negative impact far outweigh the benefits that might accrue to cyclists. If you can't turn right onto like Gerard off Young Street during rush hour, right. I don't know how you can build a bike lane there. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like it, it, there, are, there are so many things. There's so many things in Toronto that promote traffic. Um, I am not a streetcar fan. Right. I, I think it's a kind of a relic from the past. I think that, I mean, London was probably like double-decker buses because it carries more people. And get this, everyone, you can switch lanes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you can carry as many people. And, and, and you know, and, and then the environmental part. But how much do we spend maintaining the TTC because, of the, because we're, we're sort of beholden to this old way of, of doing things? And listen, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. It just, you know, but but the bike lane thing, um, because it was championed, are you a little worried that you're gonna that your opponents are gonna try to frame you as being like way far to the right? Like he doesn't even like cyclists. Like, are you no, afraid of that no, kind no. of thing happening? No, I'm not no, afraid I'm not of that. Afraid. Look, I'm, I'm, you know, you know so I just, just want to be clear here. Like, like the sixty percent of TTC riders are choice riders; they own cars. Uh, I'm willing to bet that most cyclists own cars, and most. Car owners, Car owners have bikes. bikes. Yeah. Um, 
So it's so not it's about, about being anti-bike or anti-car or anti-driver. It's not a war on the car. It's about getting the right balance between active transportation and automobile use. And we have to move people and we have to move goods uh, and we have to drive to places to provide services. And so there's a huge cost uh, in terms of productivity that gets lost. If you're driving along Bloor Street and you know there's only one cyclist and or two cyclists, um, and you got to get places, and you're, you're, we're losing we're losing a lane, we're losing that lane at rush hour, um, we're losing the parking in the in the off rush hour times so when you drive along Bloor Street. You know that north side of the street uh, has has lost all of its parking. A lot of the decisions we make as consumers are spontaneous purchase decisions. You're driving along, you feel the pangs of hunger, there's a wing place or a pub um, or, or a pizza joint or, or a great Thai restaurant. You can tell I'm thinking of Pad Thai right now. But there's a great Thai restaurant. And so you pull over. Um, and so it's great for cyclists and, and i think it's that's important but many many people most people do drive um and we need to have the, the right balance um so i want cyclists to be safe um i want motorists to be able to move no i don't want them going 100 kilometers an hour down Bloor street um, but they should be able to go at a reasonable speed and they should be able to get home and spend family time and they shouldn't have to have their cars sitting in idling um so and to me that's not a left right issue it's 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 just about finding the right balance is there a way for a mayor to um set an agenda where one of the items uh for council to vote on would be to somehow incentivize people to not use their cars by giving them some sort of like tax cut or or some sort of rebate or something like that Right. Right. Um, so that's um, a good question. Good question. I, I'm not sure that there's sure a way to incentivize. Um, well, well, the way they've the way incentivized they've not using the cars by putting in bike lanes bike and making lanes uh, uh, us having a lot more congestion. Lot more congestion. Um, um, uh, uh, I, but I don't know that I don't know it, that works. it works. Um, um, there are there communities, are communities uh, where people where are older, they're not going to cycle. cycle. Uh, maybe they should, but they're not going to. Some people have children that they have to cart to the soccer game and the basketball game and they got to visit grandma uh some couples are separated or divorced and they live in two different parts of the city and the kids get transported uh groceries uh i remember when i when i first bought my house uh i was at home depot uh, more often than i wanted to be because uh, it seemed like every time uh, something went wrong or needed fixing that i had my wallet out and uh, I was standing at the checkout line at Home Depot. Well, I can't take lumber on my bike, and I couldn't have lumber delivered uh, via streetcar. I had to take it in my car, and, and, and that's just a fact. So incentivizing um, not using a car, part of that is the cost, right? The cost of operating a vehicle is expensive. Um, that tends to create a barrier to entry for people who want to own a car. And there are alternatives. You know, we have a, a fairly robust transit system um, and cycling is an option. Um, but again, it's about finding the right balance, keeping cyclists safe and keeping the transit system safe so we're not scaring people off. 
Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's an interesting issue. Um, it um, I would say that if you live in the from anywhere from um, you know the beaches maybe to I don't know Dufferin or Lansdowne maybe, and yeah, then yeah. and then north to Eglinton. If you live in that, and then the lake, right? And if you live in that square, you should be taking the TTC to work if you're not yeah, like yeah. doing stuff with kids and everything. Like, it just it, I don't even know why you would want to drive. Downtown hey, I, at 8 30 in the morning. You know, I, I didn't own a car until 2009. So I've only I'm I'm I came to the party late in terms of car ownership. And that's only out of necessity. My, was that? I don't even have a driver's license. My my the, the 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 way that you can tell that I spent the last 25 years in Toronto before coming up here, I just let my license expire. It was a stupid thing to do, but uh, but nonetheless, I just let my license that you've turned into a cat, by the way. I, I don't know how that happened. Um, Rob Davis has transformed into a cat. We have no idea if this is going to be part of his uh, <laughs> part of his strategy to win over the uh, the single middle aged women crowd. Um, while he's gone and tries to figure out his tech, because Rob, if you're there, I can't hear you or see you anymore. I'm going to play this, and hopefully, he's back by the time it ends. It's former city councilor Rob Davis. What happened here yesterday was criminal. No, we're not calling the police, but we are going to be reporting it to the city clerk. You see, myself and a few other candidates running for mayor of Toronto were blocked and stopped from entering a meeting where residents, senior citizens who live here at 175 Cummer Avenue, were expressing their concerns about a development that was happening or that is being applied for immediately next door to where they live. Can you imagine that? Elected officials paid for by the taxpayers using their authority to stop residents from being heard. It runs contrary to the Municipal Elections Act and it runs contrary to the spirit of what the City of Toronto is all about. What I'm going to be doing is filing a complaint with the Integrity Commissioner and filing a complaint with the City Clerk so that residents like you can have your voice heard. When they try to block me from going to that meeting, they're blocking you from being heard. And if I'm elected Mayor of Toronto, I'm going to make sure there'll be no backroom meetings, no backroom deals, and nobody will be blocking your voice from being heard. So what was that about exactly? And and um, and who were the people that stopped you from going in? Well, uh, it was uh, uh, Councillor Paula Fletcher and Councillor Lily Ying. Councillor Fletcher blocked me uh, and sort of... Sort of Sort of, sort of push me back, back a bit, you know. And again, I'm not suggesting that I was like physically push you, but um, let's just say uh, she put her hands on me and tried to block my entrance into the building, uh, which is contrary to the Municipal Elections Act and the uh, Residential Tenancies Act. Can, can, Every we, can we just pause right there? What was the yeah. event? Oh, oh, it, it was a, uh, a listening meeting for residents of uh, uh, 175 Cutter Avenue, which is called Willowdale Manor. And they had a number of issues on the agenda, one of which was the development of modular housing on the site uh, for homeless folks. So, um, they, wanted to do 50, they want to build, the city wants to build 59 modular um, units, and basically these are like stacked. I don't want to don't call them call container, container housing, housing, but it's like, it's like yeah, you know, prefab units, units that would be stacked, stacked on site. site. It, it offers uh, housing, uh, housing opportunities for people who were previously homeless. And the question is whether this is the right mix, having a, a seniors, almost LTC element to a building next to 
um, a place where there's going to be uh, services or wraparound services for people who are homeless or were previously homeless and may or may not have addiction and mental health issues. Right. So um, that was the meeting. Right. And so, but it was it was open to the public. Well, uh, depends on how you define public. They posted the letters, uh, the invitation in the elevator in, in the common elements of the building. But, it, but the, the, the invitation, invitation didn't, didn't uh, suggest, uh, suggest it was exclusively for the residents of the, of the building. Okay. But they wanted so, it to so. be that way. So when other people showed up and they saw mayoral candidates show up, they, right, they right. were like, we don't want to politicize this event. Is that what their right, point right. was? Or? Yeah, but, yeah, but you know, attending, you know, attending a meeting doesn't mean you're campaigning. campaigning. You can attend a meeting and sit and listen. You don't have to hand out brochures and flyers and you don't have to ask people to vote for you. But I'll tell you this. There are laws against against blocking blocking people people from going into multi-residential buildings buildings for a reason. reason. And that's so that that we have an open democratic process and people can attend and participate and hear views. These are adults, they're not children. They're senior citizens and they know what they like. They know what they don't like. They have their political views. And there's and nothing there's wrong with allowing them to, to see you there. So, so uh, uh, it's also slightly one, ironical, wouldn't it be, Rob, um, that their message was, listen, I, it's a good idea to mix demographics, except at this meeting. <laughs> right, right. right. Like, so so, so, so I, I, I explained to you, uh, and the part you part didn't show in the video, video is the here, confrontation part. You want me to show it? Yeah, I'll show yeah. it. Sure, sure. <laughs> When I come to the door and a counselor who's taxed on taxes pushes me and tries to prevent me from coming in, that's not appropriate. I apologize. And I accept your apology. I explain I explain because yes, you can go anywhere you want. I accept your apology. So I'm explaining to you that if the very first thing that happens is an elected official pushes me and let's be clear, I don't care to start shooting pushed anyone and you're not right, right. i was the I victim, was the victim. And, and, and and councillor chang heard, heard uh, uh councillor, councillor fletcher, fletcher say, say i apologize so she knows that she pushed me she knows she's in the wrong and then she's asking me not to be intimidating i suspect there might have been a glass or two of chardonnay that may have helped uh yeah yeah and let's be clear i was being tongue-in-cheek by saying oh yeah black people are intimidating but what did she mean by that though like what did she really mean by me when all I'm doing is standing there and saying hi to people as they go into the meeting, which is perfectly allowed. I, I have no idea. Like, not only is it allowed, it's illegal to stop me from doing it. Yeah. No, it's it's a very strange way of, of getting your point across. Who is the, who is shooting that footage? Oh, uh, one of my campaign uh, one of my campaign workers. I asked him, after I was pushed, I said, um, you take out your camera and you roll camera 
no matter what happens. If anyone comes up to you and says you can't film them, I said, you keep filming. Because I was afraid that they were going to accuse me the way they accused Giorgio Mammoliti of assaulting them or pushing them. So I said, you run camera so that they cannot accuse me of doing anything illegally, anything illegal, anything inappropriate. Um, I just said, you, you just run camera. And that's yeah, what he did. he did. And all he was doing was standing there. And, the staff, you know, the you know, counselor staff, staff came, came and bothered me. And, and it was just it was a mess. Just and, and I have to say, going in? sorry, sorry. Did you end up going in and listening? No, no, I didn't go into the meeting. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to push my way into a meeting. But, but I'll say this. We have really important issues. We have homeless people. We have an opioid crisis. People are dying. We, we, have a, we have a crisis on our transit system. We have a, a financial crisis in the city. We have a housing crisis, affordability crisis. And they're worried about whether I sit in the room and listen to 60 people, half of them don't speak English. Um, talk to me. It, it, it's very intimidating for the seniors, Rob Davis. Pardon? It's very intimidating for the seniors, Rob. Right, right. Yeah, that doesn't well, I, I just I shave just all of my gray hair off. The little known fact, I'm pretty close to that senior's number as well. So, so. now you're a skinhead too. See? Yeah, you're intimidating. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I find um, politics to be infuriating at the best times, but municipal politics really um, is probably the thing that makes me the most frustrated. And right. the reason why is because uh, it is the one place. If you look at provincial, federal, municipal, municipal is where you can actually see the fruits of your labor. It's yes, where yes. you can figure out if what you're doing for the community is good for the community because not only do is that your riding, but that's where your riding, that's where your work um, is visible to the people, to the community that lives there. Federal, provincial, not so much. It's a little bit more macro. Um, is there a part of you that, um, that wants to see, and I'm going to try to word this in a way where it doesn't sound conservative or progressive, but there is so like the budget in Toronto is so big now. Um, and, and there, and, and I think it's like, I don't know if it's 51% or something is basically admin and that's including police. Is there any other places other than the sign situation where like, do we need to figure out a way to cut property taxes? Do we need to figure out a way to sort of curb um, the market in real estate so that people can actually make less than 40 grand a year and get an apartment in Toronto? Like how, how can we address things like that? I mean, public housing used to be just for homeless people. There needs to be like a second tier of public housing for people who make an, a, a decent living, say right, 50 right. grand a year or something, but just can't listen. My wife and I, when we moved out, our combined income was like 180 grand and we couldn't afford it because right, right. we had two kids we lived in the beaches. We didn't have yeah, a home yeah. that we bought. We, we rented for like $1,800 a month, but then we had all these kids' expenses, yada, yada, yada. We had debt, and we're just like, what are we doing? You know, I have a 4,000-square-foot house now, and I happen to live in by myself. It's $1,000 a month rent. Right, right. I, I need to understand why, um, and maybe you don't even, uh, I mean, this might not even be something that you could do as mayor or as a counselor, but... The, the idea that real to me, real estate is like the centerpiece of everything wrong with big right, cities right. in Canada. And I well, don't know how to address that. So, so, so firstly, so firstly um, I think I the think city of Toronto, Toronto has created a circumstance, a circumstance where the land transfer tax, the municipal land transfer tax has created not just, not just a barrier to entry, entry, 
but a barrier to transactions. So even so, now let's say you own a house and, and you were lucky enough to buy that house in the beaches um, back when, and it's worth $2 million today. Right. So you want it to get out of that $2 million semi in the beaches and buy the $2.5 million fully detached home in the beach. So you got real estate fees of $100,000. And then, and then when you when buy you the, the $2.5 million dollar property, property, you have $50,000 have 50, in city land transfer tax, another thirty or 40000 maybe $50,000 in provincial land transfer tax. Um, and, and now to buy that $2.5 million home, it's a $200,000 transaction cost. So, so what you're going to do like 1100 square we're, feet we're, say, again? say again it's like 1100 square feet yeah, yeah. I mean, so you're saying yeah. well we're going to stay here and instead, and instead of, of um, we'll put fifty thousand dollars into the kitchen, kitchen or we'll make we'll the make basement more comfortable, comfortable or we'll you know um that that, that that's, that's the that's, that's the problem, problem. So, so what's happened, happened is, is it's created inertia on the transaction so the reason there's not supply it's not listing supply is because people who got into the market before the city put in the additional land transfer tax are saying i'm not moving because the cost of the transaction for me to move you know i, I like the east end i'm going to go to the west end i like the north i want to be by the lake they're not moving and so there's no supply so now there's a lot of people wanting to buy there's limited supply they're driving up the prices um, the, land the land transfer, transfer tax. tax. Also, also, for people who are entering the market, it takes away um, quality of life um, for them because now they don't have that extra. They're buying a million dollar home. They don't have that extra seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars to fix the kitchen or fix the porch or rebuild the garage or renovate the basement so they can rent it out and get more income, right? And and provide a second unit in their home. So I just I think just we think have, we to, have to, like, this, this is the this this unintended, unintended consequences, consequences I talked about earlier. earlier. So I think we have to look at dialing back the land transfer tax, tax possibly, you know, eliminating, eliminating it for an entire class of homes under a certain amount of money in order to have all of the entry level homes at the bottom start to circulate again so people can get into the market. That, that's, that's number one. Number two, I think councilors um, made some made mistakes some in terms of how the rezoning application process goes. So if you so put in an application, you, you're, you're lucky, lucky enough you buy a piece of land, land you want to put 150, 200 units. The, the process of circulating your application and having it approved is never ending. And so council is at the Ontario Land Tribunal with almost every application and it's stalled out because, because they're just they're not doing a job. job. Like City Hall, City Hall is, you know, you know somebody, somebody I talked to a developer the other, the other day, day, he said, I wrote a check for a million dollars for them to process my application, application and they never, they never did. did. So now I'm at the land tribunal, um, fighting them. And I said, and let me get, and I said, how many days do you have? He said, well, I have about nine day, a nine day hearing. I said, well, that's going to cost you about 400,000. He says, well, I'm more about 600,000. So now he's spending $600,000 to go to a tribunal to have the tribunal render a decision because city council didn't. Yeah. Even though he paid this fee. 
So those are I, job I find it hard to great feel sorry trade for jobs, jobs, construction jobs, and housing, and housing. all stalled because, because City Hall City isn't Hall doing its job. job. I find it hard to feel sympathy for that guy, although I'm sure it's really annoying. But the people, like, I, I lived in the beaches for the last five years of my time in Toronto. And there were two things that, that I noticed about real estate that really bothered me. The first thing was, I knew a lady who lived a couple houses down, and she had a semi house. And the, and the semi was probably about 1,200 square feet. Right, right. Down the road, like six houses away, some guy bought two houses side by side, knocked them both down, built a mansion. And then when he sold it, her property tax went up eight hundred dollars a year. Right, right. right I, I, I don't that to me that is funny math. I, it, I don't. And look, I don't have that type of brain where where I, well, I understand it, it, the the legit reasons as to why. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think it should ever be an option. Like I, I'm just like, well, why your property tax when you buy your house should reflect the value of your home when you bought it, not if a guy builds a mansion and then right, I right. guess the, the somehow your your. Uh, value of your home increases it feels like funny math to me so the, so the, the magic, magic of current value assessment, assessment is, is they, they assess the, the current value, value assessment, assessment is the system that they use to evaluate the value of your home which is then used to be multiplied against the tax rate of the local municipality to calculate how much you pay in taxes so current value assessment the underlying principle is that your home is highest and best use. So if in the beaches, prices went up 40%, but in the rest of Toronto, they only went up 20%, then taxes in the beaches went up relatively higher than everywhere else. And in fact, some places might actually get a reduction in their taxes conceivably. So the problem is property taxes are not a measure of your ability to pay. They're a measure, it's a tax basically on your wealth, which you have no control over. Yeah. And the other thing that I didn't like was that the landlords that owned the businesses that were ground floor along Queen Street didn't have to pay any taxes if their, uh, if their storefront was vacant. And then they would just hold out for the sucker that would pay eight grand a month in rent. Right, right. So, so they do they pay, pay taxes, taxes, but they pay a reduced tax. So if, you're, if your property, property is vacant, is vacant um, um, a commercial or retail property, property, you pay a reduced um, amount. You, you pay a, a rate based on it being vacant. Um, and there were some loopholes as well. Sometimes people would would have a, a unit and they would take out the windows and it'd be an unfinished or under renovation. You know, they just make sure one window was, was, was out. There's all sorts of tricks that people in the business would utilize to game the system. Um, so, so, so property taxes are a regressive form of taxation because they're not based on the ability, your ability to pay. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about changing the system. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that we're going to see that anytime soon, but what we have seen is a lot of services being offloaded as user pay. So garbage is sort of a user pay system. They, they, they actually tax you twice. You, you, it's on your property tax and then they charge you for the bins on your water bill. Um, that's a Rob Ford uh, policy, isn't it? Well, that, that was something that happened before Rob Ford got there, but, 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 um, and then, and then what they've done is they've added this 
2% percent city building tax, which is built in to every year. So um, even though this year taxes went up 5%, it's really 7% because they sort of pre-approved this 2%. And that way they never have to announce uh, taxes, um, a higher uh, increase in the tax rate. Here's the problem, though. If inflation has been 1% and 2% for all of these years, um, while council has increased property taxes at twice the rate of inflation, it means, it means that with that compounding, compounding, property taxes are really going, going way above people's, people's ability, ability to pay, pay assuming, assuming that their pay, pay has been rising at the rate of inflation. And property taxes, I don't know if you guys realize, those listening at home, is like, I think it's like half the entire budget for Toronto right, is made from right. property taxes. Like, it's 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 insane. So it's I can about, see why yeah, the city yeah. might want to. Um. Let me ask, before I let you go, I want to talk to you a little bit about debates. And I sure, want to know sure. if you um, are confident that you will be selected by people who shouldn't have the power to select, <laughs> um, um, who are the top five candidates. Do you, what do you, I mean, when you have an election that has like 50 some odd people running. Right, right. How do you choose who, uh, not not you, but the royal you, how do, how do we go about, how does the media go about um, deciding who the top tier candidates are? Like, what do they do? Do they rely on polling firms? Do you know how this works? So, so uh, uh, different, different, uh, different, uh, organizations different organizations have different, have different criteria. criteria. Um, I, I have a neighbor who's organizing a, an all candidates debate. He said, anyone who's held office before, anyone who's held um, a position of sort of, sort of lack of a better word, authority, or been a, a senior executive in a large organization, He's going to be including them in his uh, debate. Some organizations are going to do it solely on polling, which kind of is counterintuitive because if you can't get exposure by being in the debate, then of course you're not going to be polling very well. So it, it's kind of, uh, you're rewarding people uh, for just being well-known versus whether they're capable or have the skills and ability. So it's hard to break through. And, and I'm in an odd position because I'm not a counselor currently, but I was a counselor. So my name recognition may not be as high as somebody who has actually less experience than me. So I have nine years of experience as a city counselor, two years on the Catholic school board. So 11 years in total. Um, you know, one of the opponents, Brad Bradford from the beach, He's been on council four years plus the last six months. Right. So I don't know. They might include him because he's polling better than me and I might get excluded, notwithstanding the fact that I have more experience. So are you worried about that process? And No, I'm not worried about that. I'm fully confident I'll be included in enough debates. I'll be able to, I think, flex my debate muscles and and my uh, intellectual, intellectual uh, rigor in front of enough voters, voters that they'll see, see uh, that I'm, I'm qualified and that I'm the best, best candidate, candidate for, uh, for the job. Well, listen, um, I wish you well. If I was in Toronto, I, well, I, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I definitely would. Uh, my, my rapport with you has always been really good. I can't remember how right, we met. It was right. years ago, online, digital kind of thing. Like, I, just, I think yeah, I reached yeah. out and asked you a question about something. But, like, you yeah, know... Yeah. Um, 
you're, you know, you're a viable candidate in, in an election that often has a shortage of viable candidates. That's very, very kind, kind of you. Well, th- listen, like, uh, you know, and, and like I said, like, you know, this is, um, this is one of those weird elections and um, it's, it's, it's in that in-between spot where no one really right, knows right. what's going to happen. Um, there are a lot of weird characters running. Yeah, um, yeah. But there but there are some people that you have to say, okay, they have good experience. Yourself, Olivia Chow, people like that, like like you know, where right, you might right. not agree on a lot, but at right, least right. you know there's a competence there. And um and I wish you luck. And uh Rob Davis, thank you for joining us on Black Bolt. Well well thank you very, thank much. very much and, and uh, be well, well everybody. Well, and uh, uh, uh as as, as uh, uh, my, my Grade, grade 10 history, 10 history teacher, teacher used to say, say uh, vote, uh, early vote early and vote, vote often. often. That's right. Well, you're talking to the right guy. I did vote three times in the election one time. So. <laughs> but we'll talk about that later. Thanks, Rob Davis. Thanks. thanks Thank you very much. much. Have, Have a good evening. evening. You too. That was Rob Davis. Um, guys, if you're living in Toronto, you should go and uh, and check out his campaign site and check out the in, uh, the issues that he's involved with. Uh, yes, he is, uh, you know, he, he's a, a progressive conservative um, as far as uh, having ties to that party goes. But I'm telling you, like, the, you know, there's no hardcore, corrupt, far right tendencies with this guy. He is a uh, he's the genuine article. And um, I haven't even looked at his platform yet. I wanted to do this uh, interview sort of clean like that and just sort of talk to him and get to know him a little bit. But uh, I encourage you to go check that out. Um, we have casual Friday coming and tomorrow I, I don't have it set up yet, so I'm just not going to announce it yet. But, um, I also wanted to, um, just really quickly, um, talk about, uh, something that, uh, was, you know, interesting to me and also, uh, a little bit kind of concerning. And, and that is the, um, interview that I did with Chomsky, uh, and the, um, the the environmental message that he had when I was talking to him, I have um, I've been thinking about what he said at the end uh, of that interview a lot, and uh, you know it, it was it was about my question regarding whether or not uh, we should have hope when it comes to climate change, and I, I got to tell you I I was really disappointed to get. A bunch of messages uh, about how it really is a hoax and people sending me these charts and these graphs and like oh look at the ice in antarctica and this and that and i you know i i'm a, i'm a little bit more than concerned about how easily we you know surround ourselves with tech and put on headphones and get lost in netflix and and kind of just don't think about it. I guess I'm talking about apathy. Um, you, you know, is is apathy better than spreading disinformation? Probably, but is apathy the result of being um, hit with disinformation? Partially. The and then I had people. This is hilarious. I had people who uh, emailed me because they heard me say I don't even remember what podcast it was on. But they heard me say that I thought it is hypocritical for a person to preach environmentalism and then fly a private jet. Um, because that's a talking point that they used, used to use against Al Gore. If you saw how much, uh, like, like it, one trip from New York to Los Angeles in a private jet is, I, I don't remember the number, but it's like driving your car for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks at a time. It could be months. I, I can't remember what it is. 
but it really is kind of like a gross way to get somewhere and you're doing it just because you can afford to point is I found it very kind of depressing that on one side I had people telling me that Chomsky's a commie and global warming is a hoax. Those people, I kind of expect them. But then the other people telling me that like, you know, that I can't say that people shouldn't fly private if they're also calling themselves an environmentalist was really kind of just sad and and depressing. I, I wanted to sort of do that interview and I don't think I succeeded in this, but I wanted to do that interview and sort of get people to be like, Hey, this guy, he's 94 and his, he may sound creaky, right? You know, because he's so old, but he's smart. He's clearly not trying to like fool anyone. He's clearly not trying to make money from his position, which I think a lot of people on the right need to start to understand that a grift is a grift is a grift. If someone makes their bread and butter by telling you that the one plus one equals two equation is wrong they're lying to you Noam Chomsky has no reason to lie and he's far too smart to be tricked by the scientists and 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 despite the fact that he said things that I don't even know if I agree with like uh we may have already been we may already be too late and be heading for extinction I don't know if that's necessarily true it does sound a little bit alarmist, but I'm kind of like, so what? Like the rest of the things that he said were resonating. And then I got all these messages and it was just, it was just really depressing. So, you know, I don't know what I am going to do, but I feel like I need to like write about it more at the very least, um, adjust my lifestyle. I'll have, you know, that by not having a driver's license for the last 20 years or so, my carbon footprint is like, you know, a fucking baby foot. And uh, and I'm not proud of that because I really didn't do it because of environmentalism. I just sort of forced gumped my way. It's like wiping your face and, and giving that guy the smiley face idea. Um, you know, but I wonder if there's other things I can do. So I turned my thermostat down to like 65. Apparently that helps. And, and you know how hard it was to do that? I had to do this. That's what I had to do. And apparently I just saved like a, well, like a ton of carbon emissions or something like that over the next 12 months or something. I can't remember what the number is, but, but apparently that's good. So I guess this is sort of an appeal, um, not to the idiots that say that uh, Chomsky's a fool and global warming's a hoax. I don't know if there's even any hope for you guys. It, it's worth repeating um, that the, the people that started that uh, mantra, that global warming is a hoax and climate change is a hoax, are were literally the exact same lobbyists that were telling people that cigarettes were not addictive and did not cause cancer. Like not the same type of people, literally the same individuals. So please. Um, but I'm wondering if, if, if we all could, uh, you know, figure out something to do, uh, you know, and, and I'm not an environmentalist. I know I don't sound like one, so I'm not, you know, <laughs> it's not a surprise when I say I'm not one. But it, it did get me thinking about how lazy um, we can be and how apathetic we can be. And, you know, if you don't mind uh, not driving your car to work, if you're a single person and you drive your car and you live, like, on the outskirts of the downtown core in Toronto, you are kind of part of the problem. I'm sorry, but, but, but you are. You, you, like, when I moved to this small town, 
I, 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 when I got the job at the library, it's been six years now. And uh, I, I, at lunchtime, I, I said to my boss, Karen, uh, I was like, hey, Karen, I'm going to go and, uh, and get a coffee. Uh, would you like one? And she's like, you're going to walk all the way there? Dude, it would be like walking from Dundas to Queen along Spadina. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, I'm going to go walk there. And they were like, wow, I've never, I've, ne- I've never seen a local walk so far. <laughs> like, are you fucking kidding? I'm hopeful. Um, I don't know why I'm hopeful because it does seem like, you know, big business doesn't care. It does seem like developing nations are supposed to get their chance to develop even if they have a billion people. You know, there's there's new industri- mini industrial revolution. I guess they wouldn't be mini. They'd be about the same size. But there's industrial revolutions happening all over the place because of developing nations. I'm a little worried. I'm, I'm a little, uh, you know, and I'm worried because I'm ignorant because I don't really know the data. Um, but also because someone smarter than me who seems to know the data and wrote books about it, by the way, um, is really worried. Now, is he an ends to justify the me- ends can justify the means person when it comes to the environment? Maybe. I don't know doesn't seem to be part of his MO, um, but it, it left something with me. And, uh, and I think um, all these little tiny things that I'm doing, like turning the thermostat down, not driving a car, you know, um, I'm buying meat locally now, so I don't have to feel guilty about all the transport uh, pollution and the factory farm solution, uh, uh, pollution and all that kind of stuff. So listen, I'm doing these really small things, but I don't know. Um, I'm not trying to be preachy or anything, but it would be nice if maybe other people out there just did little things like that. Um, I, I, I am not an example. I am um, uh, following the lead of people that are far better people than me and smarter than me, people like people like Noam. Um, and yes, I call him Noam. Uh, I talked to him yesterday and, um, you know, and he was, he, it was weird because he was like, he's like, I think what you're doing is really important. And I said, Really? Because I don't, I don't know what, what am I doing that's important. I, I, I have you on to talk about things that I am not uh, smart enough to talk about. And, and he was like, a lot of people won't even have me on um, to talk about it. And he's like, but, you know, he's like, James, he's like, once a week it could be. And by the way, I, it's not lost on me how dope it is that I can have conversations with Noam Chomsky when I'm not on the show. Um, I wouldn't call ourselves friends, but we're certainly good enough acquaintances where we can shoot the shit. And, um, and he's like, James, you don't have to just have someone on Earth Day. Why don't you call my co-author, Bob Paul, and I'll tell him that you're calling. You can have him on. So that's what I did. So I'm going to have him on next month. I think I want to try um, to, to take the, the audience that I've built and maybe once every couple of weeks to start, have someone on that focuses and, and, and the show focuses solely, not on just on the environment, because that's a very macrocosmic way of, of, of approaching it. But, you know, maybe a retrofit expert, a uh, developer who, uh, or, or a construction person that, um, or, or even an engineer that, sh- that tells us um, how, how retrofitting a building can save X amount of, of um, you know, carbon tons or whatever it is. You know, or, or having somebody else that can and that can talk to us about um, how we can eliminate factory farming food. Um, you know, if if we if we want to order it, uh, or, you know, through a local butcher or what, whatever it happens to be, I think I'm going to try to do that. Um, so twice a month, I'm going to start. I'm going to have Robert Paulin on in a couple of weeks. I'll see if I can have someone on before that, and uh, 
and and sort of get off my ass and try to do something it, it, again it's 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 modest um but i think maybe if other people do it too then maybe we can at least hold our heads up and say that like we we may have been part of the problem but to a far lesser degree so uh if you guys want to join me in that crusade please do so if you don't want to that's fine too and we'll see you next time on black ball black ball I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback.